Well, before we get started with the message today, I'm excited that today is the day that we're bringing back Kids Crew Worship. Now, there's a slight adjustment to that in the way that we're doing that. Kids Crew today, when we release in just a minute, is going to be for fourth grade and under. So that's one of the adjustments, okay? So for fourth grade and under. And, and then kids, hear me on this. This is the second part of the adjustment, okay? I'm going to give you a, a, a specific instruction on what I want you to do. When I release the kids in a moment, I want to ask that they would make their way over to the stairwell that is just to my left and then go upstairs because you're going to gather up just outside the, the upstairs doors here before we go into the kids' crew room, okay? So as you make your way down, be, be careful. We don't need anybody tripping or falling or anything on the stairs. But go ahead and make your way here and then go upstairs so that you'll be gathered up and ready to head into the kids' crew room, okay? So let's take a moment now and dismiss all of our kids, fourth grade and under, and our leaders as well, to uh, head upstairs for kids' crew worship this morning. And while they're doing that, I want to encourage you to turn your Bible to Genesis Chapter 37, we're starting a new sermon series today that we're calling Lesson Learned. Because what we're going to do over the course of the next month is we're going to look at some specific characters, some individuals in the Old Testament and the lessons that they learned through the, the things that they went through, the things that God took them through in life. We have all of us been living these last several months in a situation that was, to say at the least, unforeseen, probably. Uh, a year ago this time, th- there's no way we would have thought that you would come to church and, and we would be wearing masks and we would be social distancing and all of these other things that we've all learned and adopted as a part of our, not only as our vocabulary, but a part of just our everyday lives this year. This has been a year unlike any other, to say the least. And yet, in the midst of that, One of the things that I I feel like happens, one of the the things that that I just sense and I feel it as a burden really is that we're we're so ready to get past all of this. And and listen, I'm as ready as anyone to get past all of this. We're so ready to get beyond all of this that we're in danger of missing what it is that God may want to teach us and how it is that he may want to work in us and in our lives even in the midst of this. One of the things that we've been saying for weeks, for months now, is that the gospel is not quarantined. God's plan and his purposes for our lives aren't distant in any way. They're very close. They're very near. God is working in our lives and in our midst, even in spite of the situation and all the ways that it's changed our lives these last weeks and these last months. And, and as much as anything, what I hope to do over the next several weeks is to set the stage for us to understand God's work in our lives, how he's actively working in the midst of our current situations so that we might not miss what God wants to teach us and what he wants to do in our lives in the midst of this situation, that we wouldn't miss the lesson that God wants to teach us, the lesson that we might learn through all of this. Some of us have to learn lessons the hard way, amen? Some of us uh, are, are the kind of people that in life, it just seems like the only way that we tend to learn lessons is the hard way. That we have to go through some things, we have to experience some things, we have to, we have to uh, get some, some, some life experience, some scrapes and bruises, some, some things that happen along the way in order that we might learn a lesson. And sometimes those lessons can be painful. 
Sometimes those lessons can be costly. Sometimes those lessons can be, uh, can, can be downright difficult. And yet, if we will let them, those lessons can draw us closer to God. They can teach us more about his love for us, his concern for our lives. And what I hope that you'll hear over these next few weeks is, is ways that God wants to work in the midst of all of the madness, the craziness that is 2020. We're going to start by looking at Joseph. In, in Genesis chapter 37, we, we learn about Joseph. Joseph was one of the sons of Jacob. And Jacob, you may well remember, Jacob was the son of Isaac. And Jacob had a brother named Esau. He was a twin, but he was born second. And so the birthright rightly belonged to his brother Esau. And yet Jacob deceived. He tricked his father and stole his brother's birthright. And through all of that, uh, God led Jacob down a long and winding path to bring him to this moment, this point in life, where, where, where now we see the, the story, the focus of the story sort of shift from Jacob as the central figure now to Jacob's son, Joseph. And from Genesis chapter 37, really through the end of the book of Genesis nearly, we find that the focus is on this character, this figure, Joseph. And the story of what Joseph has gone through. And so to help set the stage for that, let's read together from Genesis chapter 37. We're going to start in verse 1, read the first 11 verses of Genesis chapter 37 that introduces us to Joseph and sets the stage for the lessons that we will learn through Joseph's life and Joseph's story. We read this, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. And could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, the sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and even eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his brothers and, excuse me, to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you've dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. And so here we see that Joseph has these dreams. And these don't appear to be like other dreams. There's a prophetic nature to these dreams. And his brothers and his father understood that. So what, are we to, are we to do this now? Are we supposed to bow down to you? Are you going to be lord over the, us? It, you could tell that they bristled at the idea of Joseph's dreams, the implications, or at least, at the very least, the potential implications of Joseph's dreams. And so it introduced conflict and struggle. But you know, there was conflict and struggle in the story already, we see, 
because Joseph was loved more than his other brothers. And it tells us that he's loved more than the other brothers because he was the son of his father's old age. Now, here's what you need to understand about Joseph being the son of his father's old age. He was a son of his father's old age, but he was also a son of one of his father's particular wives, of his wife, Rachel. You see, Jacob was married to several women, and, and one of those women was Rachel, the one that Jacob loved the instant that he saw her. And Jacob worked for seven years in order to marry Rachel, but on the day of his wedding, instead was deceivingly given to Rachel's sister Leah. And so then he worked seven more years. So for 14 years, Jacob dreamed of marrying Rachel. And and then finally, after 14 years of hard work, they were married. But for years, Rachel couldn't conceive children. For years, God had closed her womb until, according to God's timing and God's due, due season, he opened Rachel's womb. And Rachel eventually bore Joseph two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. And so, in the course of time, Joseph is born. And now, as a 17-year-old, we see that there's conflict between Joseph and his brothers. Not only is there conflict between Joseph and his brothers, but Joseph seems to add fuel to that fire with these dreams and these revelations that point to him playing a, a prominent, even a dominant role that his, that his brothers and his father would bow down to him somehow. And it's out of the midst of these stories that we, we begin to see the, 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 real, the real animosity, even the hatred that Joseph's brothers have. Now, if you continue to read in the following chapters and you follow the story, you learn, of course, that Joseph's brothers conceive a plan to make the, the Joseph problem, if you will, go away. At first, they decided that they were going to kill Joseph. They had had enough, and they were going to kill him. One of the brothers speaks up and says, no, let's not. Our father couldn't handle it. But instead, what they did is they, they decided to sell Joseph into slavery and then convince their father that Joseph was dead. How that's better, I don't know, but that was the plan that they came up with, right? And so they, they put the plan into motion. They, they sell Joseph into slavery, and then they convinced their father that Joseph had been killed in the fields by wild animals. Well, we continue to follow Joseph in the story, and we see that wherever Joseph goes, God has his hand on Joseph's life, that God is, is protecting Joseph. Not only is God protecting him, but God is causing Joseph to prosper. And so Joseph rises to prominence in the land where he eventually ends up, in the land of Egypt. And not only does he arise into in the prominence, but he's given authority, and he's put into some, some important positions And then for a season, we see that things happen again, that that Joseph, that that, that a woman lies about Joseph and accuses him of of raping her, essentially. And and Joseph is, he is later, he is put in prison, and then in prison, he has other dreams. Then as a result of those dreams and his ability to interpret for someone in jail with him, Joseph ends up in the house of the Pharaoh, as the second in command of the entire Egyptian nation, of all of Egypt, which at this point in time is one of the most dominant 
powers in the world, and, and certainly the most dominant power in this part of the world. And it's through Joseph's dream that God enables Egypt to weather the storm of this great worldwide famine that was come, would come. And so when the famine happens, as things play out, we see that because of the dream that Joseph was able to interpret, we see that God has allowed Joseph to be in a key position. As I wouldn't call it uh, chance would have it, but as we understand according to God's providence, as providence would have it, we find that Jacob's sons are sent to the land of Egypt to see if they can buy food. Because Egypt was the only place at this point in time that, that had food to sell to others. And when they come to Egypt in order to purchase food, who do they encounter but Joseph, who is second in command. Joseph is in a position of authority. And and if you've read the story, and by the way, if you haven't, we're not reading through all of it today just for the sake of time because I want to get us to the lessons that we learn. So I'm, I'm telling you the story, but I would encourage you, go back and read this in these chapters in Genesis But when we get to the climax of the story, it really takes us to Genesis chapter 45. So turn there, Genesis chapter 45. And we're going to read verses 4 and 5 together. It's the climax of the story. Joseph now is about to reveal himself in his true identity to his brothers who do not know that the one who who is in a position to provide for their need, in fact, is their brother Joseph. And so we read in Genesis 45, verse 4, Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, and and I want you to imagine, like in a movie, all the dramatic energy here, right? The music builds to a crescendo. Imagine that this is the climax. This is the moment where we see what's been happening all along in the story. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. And so, Joseph understands that even though his brothers had acted in a way of, that, that was intended for malice, that God sent him to Egypt in order that he might preserve their lives, in order that he might preserve his promise. And so what do we see happens is that they, they, they receive food. And not only do they receive food, but eventually Joseph's brothers bring their younger brother Benjamin to Joseph. They bring Benjamin to Israel. And there in Israel, I mean, excuse me, not to Israel, into Egypt. And there in Egypt, Not only are their lives preserved, Joseph is reunited with his father. We find that there is this this incredible climax. And the lesson that we learned is that even though Joseph's brothers acted in a way that was meant for evil, God intended to use it for good. And the Bible doesn't leave that, doesn't leave that as a, a, a part of the story that that there might be any doubt or there might be any stone unturned. I want you to see that. Go to Genesis chapter 50 and look beginning in verse 19. Because here we have this incredible insight from Joseph. 
Here we have this incredible insight to what was, what was going on all along in God's hand and God's purpose in this. Genesis chapter 50, I'm beginning in verse 19. This is after Jacob now has died and Joseph's brothers are concerned because even though Joseph had shown kindness to them up to this point, their concern was, well, now that our father is dead, perhaps they're going to... There's going to be a change. Maybe now Joseph will exact his revenge or seek retribution against us for what has happened. And Joseph himself says this to his brothers. I'm reading from verse 19. Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. And then even look at verse 21. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. What an incredible moment in the story. That at the very moment when Joseph had every opportunity, every authority, and every reason to exact revenge against his brothers, what does he do? He shows kindness to them, and he speaks favorably to them, and he shows favor to them. And he has the the insight to tell them this truth. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. See, we learn some incredibly valuable lessons from Joseph's life. And and I want to walk through these. You see in your notes on the backside of your worship guide, there are four particular lessons that I want you to see that we can learn from Joseph's story. The first lesson is this. And I've stated each of these, by the way. I've stated each of these as though it were an instruction, right? Don't let one thing keep you from something. Don't allow this, right? I've stated these. I've, I've worded these sort of instructively. The first lesson is this. Don't let pain keep you from God's purpose. Don't let pain keep you from God's purpose. Joseph's life is full of pain. You see in his story, heartache after heartache, hardship after setback after setback. Joseph seems to encounter problems at every turn. And yet, even in the midst of his pain and his problems, God has a plan. And we see that. Clearly, we see God's plan in spite of all of Joseph's problems. Because Joseph presses on. Even in the midst of his pain, even in spite of his problems, Joseph presses on. And if we learn anything from Joseph, it's we learn to press on in the midst of pain. To not allow our problems to stop what God wants to do. To understand that problems present possibilities. And so we press on in spite of pain, in spite of problems. We don't let problems keep us from fulfilling God's plan for our lives. Don't let pain keep you from God's purpose. There are other great lessons that we learn. The second great lesson we learn from Joseph's story is this. Don't let bitterness keep you from being a blessing. Don't let bitterness keep you from being a blessing. Joseph had every reason to hate his brothers. He had every reason to 
literally to exact his revenge, to take their lives. And not only did he have every reason to do that, but he was in a position with all the authority that he needed to do that. And he would have been accountable to, to, to no one except God for, for those actions. And yet Joseph doesn't respond in bitterness. Joseph understood that God was at work in, in spite of his brother's malice, his, in spite of their, their evil intentions. And he says as much, right? What an incredible insight God has given Joseph. Not only is this the fulfillment of the dream, that, or the dreams, because there were a couple of dreams that Joseph had told, but it's the fulfillment of God's purpose. And Joseph sees as much. You meant evil, but God meant good to preserve life. Joseph was betrayed by his own family. But he didn't let his betrayal, their betrayal, make him bitter. Maybe you've been hurt by the people that are closest to you. Maybe your own family or maybe others that you've trusted and you've been hurt and wounded by people who are close to you. You have a choice. Are you going to allow that betrayal to make you bitter? Or are you going to work through the pain, press on through the pain, in order that you might become a conduit of God's blessing? Don't let bitterness keep you from being a blessing. The third lesson we learn from Joseph's story is this. Don't let pride stand in the way of peace. Don't let pride stand in the way of peace. When Joseph's father rebuked him in Genesis 37, we saw that obviously his family took offense to the dreams that Joseph had. Obviously, they thought that Joseph was being arrogant and being prideful. And, and who, I mean, who's to say that perhaps there wasn't a, a nature of pride in the way that Joseph responded, in the way that he told these dreams? And yet, Joseph had been through plenty of life to humble him. Life's circumstances, life's hardships, life's pains and problems humbled Joseph. To his credit, he allowed life's problems to humble him. Not to make him bitter, but to make him humble. And here he is in a position of tremendous authority. And in pride, he had every opportunity to say, I am Joseph I am second in command of the entire Egyptian kingdom. He had every opportunity to respond in, in, in pride and arrogance. Do you know who I And yet what do we see? We see the humility, the brokenness. And he wept before his brothers. He embraced them with love. He spoke kindly to them. And even, not only them, but on behalf of their children, Don't let pride stand in the way of peace. Pride always stands in the way of peace, by the way. Pride always wants to stand. It wants to drive a wedge between and stand in the way of peace. We have to choose not to let that happen. Fourth, we learn this lesson. Don't lose faith. When God isn't finished. Don't lose faith when God isn't finished. He's not done yet. How do I know that God's not done yet? Because you're here. 
because you're alive, because you're breathing, because God is still at work in your life, else you wouldn't be here. Don't lose faith when God isn't finished. There's a song that I've been singing with our our people who attend CR on Monday nights. Once a month, I'm a part of a a group of people that rotate through CR and and, and lead worship. And on the last couple of times that I've been through CR on on Monday nights, I've been leading a song called My Testimony. And and one of the reasons why I'm drawn to this song and, and particularly love to sing it there is because there's a part in the song that says, if I'm not dead, then you're not done. Greater things are still to come. Oh, I believe. That's the line. And we sing that at the top of our lungs. We declare that truth. If I'm not dead, then you're not done. Greater things are yet to come. I believe. And I wonder today who needs to hear that message. If you're not dead, then God's not done. Don't lose faith when God isn't finished with you. Press on. Keep going in spite of what you've been through. You know, the incredible thing about Joseph's story, when you, really, when you really dig in and you really understand what's happening here, is that Joseph becomes for us a, a prefigure of Jesus Christ. That Joseph points the way for us to see Jesus. Consider this about the story of Joseph. He was a son of promise, a beloved son of promise. He was sold for a price. Jesus was a son of promise. The angels promised that he would be the Messiah. Jesus was sold for a price. Joseph suffered undeservedly. Jesus suffered undeservedly. Joseph was seated on a throne. Jesus is now seated on a heavenly throne. And even on this earth, he had authority over, over, over demons and principalities and, and powers of this world. Ultimately, Joseph saved those who betrayed him. Just as Jesus offered his life as a sacrifice, as the payment for those who would turn their backs against him, who would sin against him and betray him. You see, the story of Joseph points the way to a much greater story, the story of Jesus. And in our lives as well, when we will press on through the pain, when we will not lose hope in the midst of the hardships that we face, our lives and our stories also have the power to point the way to Jesus so that others would see Jesus at work in us. The writer of Hebrews says this, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3. He says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, Consider him, meaning consider Jesus, who endured from sinners hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. What we learn from Joseph, the lesson that we learn from Joseph, is that we do not need to lose heart. We do not need to give up. We do not need to lose faith when God isn't finished. So that in our lives and through our testimony, others may see Jesus at work. Don't lose faith when God isn't finished in your life. I wonder this morning, which of these lessons speaks the loudest to you? Which of these lessons is God wanting to, is God wanting to use in your life? Don't 
Let pain keep you from God's purpose. Don't let it. Don't let betrayal and, and brokenness and don't, and don't let bitterness keep you from being a blessing to someone else. Don't let pride stand in the way of peace. Don't lose faith when God isn't finished with you so that in your life and through your life, others might see Jesus at work. In a moment, we're gonna move into a time of response, a time of invitation. And today, I wonder today that if God is speaking to you, if he's working in your life, that maybe today is the moment. This is the, this is the moment. This is the hour when God wants to, God wants to, to speak to you clearly. And he wants to draw you in that you might understand, as Joseph understood, that there's a lesson to be learned in the midst of life's hardships. How does God want to use the things that you've been through, the things that you're going through? How does God want to use that to lead you closer to him, that you might experience his comfort, his peace, and ultimately that your life might be a living testimony for others to see Jesus? Or maybe today the Lord is speaking to you that just as you see it in Joseph's own story, this morning it's, it's like things have clicked and you understand that Jesus is the one who gave himself for you. And, and what you see when you see the story of Joseph is you see that like a, like a flashing neon sign, Joseph's story is pointing the way to a much greater story, the story of Jesus, who loved you, who gave himself for you that you might be redeemed. And this morning, God is saying to you, don't lose faith. I'm not done. I'm not done. In spite of what you've been through, I'm not finished in your life. And if God's speaking to you today and he's calling you to trust in Jesus by faith, then I would encourage you, you would make this the day that you surrender your life to him. And so in a moment when we begin to sing this song of response, this song of invitation, our altar will be open. We would encourage you, if God's speaking, that you would come and that you would that you would, uh, you would just surrender to the Lord, whatever he's leading you to surrender, whether that be uh, something in your life, a, a part of life's hurts, its habits, its hangups, whether it be a, a particular situation, a particular relationship, or even perhaps if it's that the Lord is leading you to surrender your life to him in faith today as you call on Jesus as Lord and Savior, we want to encourage you that you would respond this morning to God's call for your life. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are so grateful you aren't finished with us. You're not done with us. And so we pray that you would move in our midst through our pains and our, our, our problems, Lord. We don't want to let bitterness keep us from being a blessing. We don't want pride to stand in the way of peace. We don't want pain to derail us from knowing your purpose. And certainly, Lord, we don't want to lose faith when you're not finished yet. So work in us, work through us, we pray. Jesus, that you may receive all the glory that is due you and that even our very lives might be surrendered to you. We thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving your life for us. Help us learn these lessons, we pray in your name.